Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. I'm so happy to be preaching today in our first Sunday of Advent. It happens like this, it seems like every year as a, as a chaplain and a pastor, for those of you who have you've been in church, you know you're, you're plugging along in November and Thanksgiving comes and then inevitably every year somebody goes, ah, is it, is it time to decorate the church? Well, if you're going to celebrate Advent, guess what? You're going to do Thanksgiving on Thursday and you're going to blink and that Sunday is going to be the first Sunday of Advent is typically how the how the calendar works. So with that said, uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for those of you who helped and, and decorated uh, yesterday and, and made everything look, look nice and, and get in that festive spirit as we look at Advent uh, this morning. You heard our first reading uh, today, the prophet's candle, the candle of hope. Our Advent themes, the four major ones are hope, peace, love, and joy. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll focus on the birth of Jesus Christ as we celebrate together. I hope you make plans to come to our Christmas Eve candlelight at Sergeant Smith Theater, which will be our Christmas Eve time together, and we'll remind you about that in the next coming weeks. Before we look at Genesis chapter 3, I want you to go ahead and turn there. That's going to be our main passage today. I want to ask a question and get a show of hands here. How many of you are going to be on this island this Christmas? Raise your hand. You're like me, either you're like, I'm not paying that money to go anywhere else, or maybe you're like, why should I take leave? They're going to give me a half-day schedule. I'm in paradise. I heard somebody just recently, I think it was Joshua, I think it was you, one of our chaplains, he said, I'm in paradise. Why would I take leave and, and go anywhere else? Well, for whatever reason, it looks like most of us are, are going to be here. How many of you are going to get to, you're going to travel and maybe go somewhere else for, the, for Christmas? Well, God bless you all, too. Here's what I think we all have in common, though, and I want to keep asking you this question week after week. Who are you going to help connect to Christ this Christmas? Who are you going to help connect to Christ this Christmas? If you were here last week and we wrapped up the Psalms series, we saw the psalmist saying, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we learned last week that God is calling you and calling me to be a part of, of calling the world to himself. Who are you going to help connect to Christ this Christmas. I hope you keep that in, the, in your thoughts as you think about the next few Sundays. We'll be doing Advent. We'll be singing Christmas songs. We'll be doing hope, love, peace, and joy, and, and the Christmas Eve candlelight and all these things coming up. How will you perhaps invite someone to our services? Those of you who are traveling, those of you who are going to see family, how are you going to be an impact for Christ as you get to interact with family members and things like that? Well, today we're going to look at the, the concept of hope in terms of Advent, and for our text today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, because I believe that if Christmas is going to make any sense at all, we have to first answer the question, well, why do we need hope in the first place? Uh, why do we need a Savior uh, to begin with? I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are very familiar with this passage. It is the story of the fall, and today we're going to look at this story in detail, we'll turn to a couple of other passages as we look at the, the meaning of the hope, the reason we need the hope in the first place. 
I believe that this passage is, is one of the oldest passages in the Bible, but it is just as relevant for today as anything you could look up on your phone this morning. I believe that with all my heart. Well, let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll look at part of the story to begin with, and then we'll read a little bit as we go on. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, that is Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. For the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. In other words, I think he was standing there as the conversation took place. And he ate. Verse number seven. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. We're going to look at a little bit of the story uh, a little further along as we, as we go in our message today. But today I want to share with you several things about this story. And the first thing is this. The first is the steps towards sin. I think in this story you see the steps towards sin. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God tells us about the creation. He created everything. He did it in seven days. He, he did it in, well, six days really, and on the seventh day he rested. But then it, he goes into detail about the creation, and God says very specifically that everything is good. Here's where we understand why we need hope in the first place. I believe there are several steps that you'll see in this passage towards sin when you see Adam and Eve and their sin. As we look at it, I want you to think, do you find yourself in this as well? Do, when, when you and I sin, are we not following the same steps? And follow along as I share them with you. These are mostly in Genesis uh, 3 verses uh, 5 and 6. I don't have these on the screen, but if you're writing notes, this is the steps towards sin. And the first one is this, curiosity. Curiosity. Go back to verse 5. Look at, look at how it's worded there. It says, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God. Eve was curious. It got her attention. We all know stories, and we all have personal experience where sin is pleasurable, sin is fun, but the Bible says it's for season. If you're like me, you can think of times when, when curiosity got things, got your attention that were sinful and you start going down that road. But not only curiosity, I want you to see doubt here. In verse 5 and in verse 4, what does the serpent say? Which, by the way, the serpent in this story, if you go through the whole Bible, suffice it to say, it is Satan. We learn that through other places in the Scripture. This is Satan, the deceiver, the one who is, is one of our main enemies on this earth. He says, you will not surely die. He casts that doubt in her mind. You will not surely die. Curiosity, you see the doubt. But then you see the pride, because look at what he says 
in verse 5. Look at what the serpent says. God knows when you eat of it, what? Your eyes will be open and you'll be what? Like God, knowing good and evil. She, she has this, this pride. It's, it's interesting that the enemy offers power, the enemy offers prestige, but when you read through the scripture, what God's looking for from us is humility. What God's looking for is brokenness. Now, look at what it says in verse 6. There's three things. And these three things pop up in another place in the Bible. At verse 6, it says, The woman saw what the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. Now, I want to show you something. So hold your place in Genesis 3 and turn to 1 John chapter 2. Or use your digital device to flip there. 1 John chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 16. I want you to see what John says about this. 1 John 2, 16, and see if you don't see the exact same three things. He said this about the world. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, what did Eve say? Good for food, desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes, she said it looked good to her. And then look at number three, verse 16, and the pride of life, the desire to make one wise. Do you see what the Bible's saying? The steps towards sin every single time is going to be you and I seeing something that looks good, that, that, that looks like I want it and, it, and it puffs me up. And by the way, I want to point something out in this passage. Look at verse number 6 at the end, and this is the last step towards sin, the disobedience. You, you have curiosity, you have the doubt, did God really say? You have this pride build up, and then you have the actual act, the actual defiance. The little kid who... Don't touch that hot stove. The kid looks at it, sticks his hand out, gets closer, but then the actual, actually touches the stove and and gets burnt. This is the actual act in verse 6. It says that she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband. It says who was with her and he ate. This is Adam standing by while, while a literal serpent is talking to his wife and just letting all of this happen. You know what God's calling you and I to do today, men? He's calling us not to be like that. He, he, God's looking for men who will stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. God's looking for men who, it cannot be said of us, oh, we were there, but we didn't do anything about the good. God's calling you and I to stand for truth. The steps towards sin, the curiosity, the doubt, the pride, and then you see the actual disobedience. And this is important for us to understand in Advent because we are heading towards, well, why do we need hope in the first place? Well, because we're sinners. The New Testament says all what? Have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But number two is this. We see the steps towards sin, but, but our main point number two is the nature of sin. The nature of sin. And in the nature of sin... There's three questions that get twisted. And one of those questions is, is this question. What is actually true? What is actually true? What did Eve say? She, she, she told the serpent what God said, didn't she? You'll die. She didn't say it exactly like God said it in Genesis 2, but she did say, yeah, you'll die. God said, if you, if you eat this fruit, you will die. What did the serpent say? He, he, he twisted it. You won't die. You won't really die. Sin, the nature of sin, always questions 
what is true, and it tries to twist the truth. Do you think that in the world we live today that we live in a world where people are trying to twist the truth? I, I certainly do. I see, it. I see it all the time. What is true? But then also, it answers the question, what is right? In other words, what is, what is morally right? God said, here's what you are to do. You can eat all these trees. You can eat all the fruit, but you are not to eat of this one or you will die. What is the serpent questioning? He is questioning the very, hey, no, that's, that's, that's okay. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds something like this. Truth is relative. Whatever I feel in my heart, that's okay for me. I can live my best life right now. Whatever's true for you, whatever feels good for you, that's okay. That is in direct contradiction to what God tells us in his word. God gave us a standard. God gave us the scriptures. And we live in a world that always is trying to twist what is morally right. That's the nature of sin. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need hope in the first place. And also, the nature of sin also questions this question. Who am I? Who are you? And what I mean is this. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was a very clear relationship between all of creation, animals and birds, etc., etc. But then there was something special about human beings because they were made, what, in the image of God. But then also there was a special relationship between the image of God, the people, and God himself. Do you know what the serpent was trying to answer for who am I? He was trying to say, no, no, you're not just people. You can be like God yourself. It's trying to twist that question of who am I? Who are you? Sin will always twist it. Sin will always, in some way, it'll either do one or two things. It'll beat you down and make you think you're nothing when you are a creation in the image of God, loved by God. Or it'll puff you up that you want to you be God yourself. And nobody's impervious to that. I've met pastors sometimes who preach and, and they're, they're so cocky they'll sign their own Bible like, you know, like they're autographed superstars or something. We all are susceptible to, to, to either just getting beat down and think, oh, no, I'm no good. That's a lie. But also, oh, I'm so great. I'm the best thing in the world. And nobody tells me what to do. That's a lie as well. Sin will always twist those things. That's the nature of sin. Well, Advent, hope. Why is hope? Why do we need hope anyway? Well, here's the deal. Not just the steps towards sin, not just the nature of sin. Well, what's the big deal about sin? Point number three, the results of sin. And I'm going to list several, and they're not on the screen, but if you want to write them down, you certainly can. I'm going to share them with you right out of this passage, and we're going to keep reading some more here in just a minute. So I want you to look at verse, we'll pick up at verse 6, where they, so far in the story, they have been deceived, they have they've acted on their pride, and they have disobeyed God, and they've taken this fruit and eaten. Now verse number 7, let's pick up. Both of their eyes were open, they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And watch this. The man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? Now, 
Was it really where are you like if my dog gets out of the house? Oh, where's Nala? Where'd Nala go? I really don't know. God knew. I guarantee you he knew. The question was probably more for them as anything else. Where are you? And Adam said in verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Here we go. Verse 11, the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. And I ate. I know none of us have ever blamed anybody else for our own sin. Verse 13, then the Lord God said, uh, excuse me, the, then the, the man said to the woman, excuse me, messing myself up. The Lord God said to the woman, here we go, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, here we go again, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, then the Lord gives some curses to first the serpent, then the woman, then to the man. Listen to this, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all, above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, dust you'll eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity, strife, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruises heel. That's the serpent. Now to the woman, in verse 16, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam in verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will grow for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There are some definite results of sin. I want to share several of them with you. The first I want to point out is fear. Fear is one of the results of sin. I want you to wrap your mind around this. We just read it. But in that garden... For the first time in the history of human existence, somebody felt this emotion that we all can identify with. I was afraid. Can you imagine a life with, with no fear, with, with having no concerns or fears about anything? But that's one of the results of sin. It's fear. We, have, we live in a world where there's fear, where there's great fear. You don't believe it? Look on social media right now. People are scared of all kinds of things, aren't they? All kinds of things. Fear. But notice something else. Not only fear, but you see guilt and shame. Guilt and, and shame. Look at verse 7. What do they do in verse 7? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They, they knew they were naked. This, this is literally them trying to hide themselves, cover themselves, but also, I believe it's a powerful symbol of where they were in their very souls. They knew they did wrong. They had this guilt. They had this shame. Look at verse 10. What did Adam say? I heard the sound of you and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That's a result of sin is, is guilt and shame. By the way, you can't hide from God. You cannot hide from God. We can hide a lot of things from each other, but you cannot hide from God. But one of the results of sin is guilt and shame. 
Another result of sin is division and, and blame. Here's, here's the deal. We look on social media today, and we see what's going on in our world today, and you think it's the first time there's been division? No. You think it's the first time there's been people blaming them? One of Satan's most powerful tactics is to get you mad at them. You say, well, chaplain, who's them? Whoever you think it is. Whoever you're, whatever political party you're mad at. Whatever group out there you're mad at. If Satan can keep you and I mad at them, we'll never focus on God. And we'll never focus on having our own lives right with God. But in this passage, it's, it's the original, I would almost call it, they were trying to cancel each other out, if you want to use the cool hip terms of the day. That's what they're doing. What did they do? They blamed each other. God calls him to the carpet. Adam, what's going on? What does he say? The woman gave it. He's blaming immediately. He's, he's pitting himself against his wife. Eve, what does she do? She's blaming. It's, it's, someone, it's someone else. That's a result of sin. We live in a world where there's division. If you want to really get down to it, most of us in this room have job security because we live in a world of division. We exist to try to maintain peace for our country, and amen, I'm so glad to be able to do it. But until Jesus comes back, there's always going to be this division because that's a result of sin. You see, pain and suffering as a result of sin. We just read it just now. If you go back and look at those verses, you see God saying to Eve, childbirth is going to be painful. You see God saying to Adam, there's going to be pain as you till the ground. There's going to be, there's going to be suffering. And it is not long in the book of Genesis before they begin to see some pain and suffering. I cannot imagine Adam and Eve's grief as they know their own son killed one of their other sons. I can't imagine what that's like, but it did not take long for this ripple effect to start taking place. Now, let me be clear about something that the Bible teaches. I want to I be sure we, we understand this. In a, in, a, in a general sense, it is true that pain and suffering is ultimately caused by sin. But I want to say this carefully. It doesn't necessarily mean that every single thing that you as an individual suffers is a result of directly your specific sin. Does that make sense? I don't want anybody here thinking every single bad thing that happens to you happens because of a specific sin, but I do want you to understand this. For sure, every single pain and suffering that we go through happens because we live with the results of sin. And there may be times that I am suffering pain because of my own sin. We have to search our hearts and ask the Lord about those things. Does, does that make sense? And that's where hope comes in, which I promise we're going to get to in just a minute, but we've got to lay out what we need hope for before we get there. The results of sin are pain and suffering. And we all know that all too well. Another one is alienation and loneliness. Go down to verse 23. Look what happened to them in the garden. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God did what? He sent them out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, what did he do? He placed a cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way from the tree of life. What you see here is another result of sin is loneliness. Do we live in a world that where people are lonely? In a way, technology has brought us together in ways we never would have imagined, but in another way, we're as lonely as ever. It's another result of sin. Loneliness, separation from God. 
And then the ultimate result of sin, which we read, if you caught it, in verse 19, and that is death. Look at verse 19. What did he tell Adam very clearly? You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Bible says in the New Testament what, that the wages of sin is death. And yes, we live in a world with pain and suffering. We live in a world with death because of sin, and not just physical death. Because the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. And he who does not believe in Jesus, it says in John chapter 3, Jesus said that person is condemned already. The wages of sin is death. The results of sin are tragic. Now, finally, point number four. Let's look at the hope for salvation from sin. The hope for salvation from sin. God made a way of salvation. I want you to go back to a verse that we read, Genesis 3.15. What did he say there? God told the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, that is Eve, between your offspring and her offspring. Some translations say seed, but you know, offspring. He shall, now this is interesting, he shall bruise your head. In other words, in the first part of it, he talks about your, your offspring and her offspring, but then he gets specific. He says, he, that is, her offspring, is going to bruise your, like the serpent himself. He's going to crush your head. But you shall bruise his heel. We read a portion of that in our Advent reading this morning. This is the first glimpse of hope for, for sin that we have. We have God saying to the serpent, there's going to come a day when the offspring of Eve is going to crush that serpent's head. That is just a little glimpse of our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The rest of the Old Testament, God begins to lay out this hope. It, it goes throughout the entire rest of the Old Testament. You have Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham. And what did he say to Abraham? He said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great name, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Another place in Genesis, there's a prophecy that says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until the tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. God is, is letting us know that he is bringing hope. He's sending a redeemer. In 2 Samuel, God told David, David, who we've been studying because he wrote a lot of those psalms, remember? He told David that he one day would have a son who would sit on his throne and reign forever. I want you to turn with me to one more prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 33. I'll give you a moment to turn there. You can keep your place in Genesis 3, and I'll read it to you in just a moment. We're going to read Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. As we think about the story that we've been studying this morning, the story of the fall, the story of the results of sin, I want you to see where God is working to bring this hope in our lives. Look at Jeremiah 13, verses, I want to read 14 through 16. Here's what he says. He says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise 
I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Abraham and all those. In those days at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in verse 16, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And I won't go any further ahead because you've got to keep coming to our Advent services because in the next few weeks all the chapels will be preaching on those very things. So I'm going to stop right there. We're going to go back now to Genesis 3. I want to show you one more thing and then we're going to wrap up this morning. In Genesis chapter 3, there's one more little thing that happens that I believe gives us a glimmer of hope. And I want to show it to you in verse 20 and 21. Ultimately, what we're seeing is glimpses of the fact that God is going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to be our Messiah, to be our Savior. But look back at Genesis 3, verses 20 and 21. We haven't read this yet. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Now watch this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. The Lord made garments of skin and clothed them. Did God go down to the PX to buy the clothes? Answer is no. Did God go to Walmart and buy the clothes? No. What is the implication that happened here? Where did God get this animal skin? Well, probably an animal. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I can't help but think about a coming sacrifice. I can't help but think about the Old Testament. I can't help but think about the law of Moses. I can't help but think about all the sacrifices. But Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But when I see this in Genesis 3 where God, remember, they tried to clothe themselves and it didn't work. I was ashamed. I was naked, so I hid myself. God's already coming alongside them, and God is already showing that he wants to figure out a way to clothe them in a way that they cannot clothe themselves. You and I cannot fix our own sin. You and I can't be good enough to be right with God. Many, many times people in our world think that salvation works like a set of scales. And this is what they mean, and this is unbiblical. They say, here's my life. You remember a set of scales where like if this side's heavier, it leans down, right? A lot of people think that like here's good, here's bad. If my good outweighs my bad, I'll be okay at the end of my life and I'll go to heaven or I'll, I'll be good. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, throughout the Bible, it teaches that you and I, we cannot be good enough because that's not how it works. It's not a set of scales. It's a standard of perfection and holiness that none of us have ever, nor will ever, attain. We desperately need a Savior because we are exposed and because we need salvation. And in this passage, God offers this glimpse of hope as he kills an animal to provide a skin to cover Adam and Eve. And that is the glimpse of the hope that you and I need today. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said it this way. He said, in Adam all die, but in Christ, through Christ, 
we are made alive. That is the hope that we need. I can't think of a better message to start our Advent season than answering that question. Do we have this hope through Jesus Christ? And how are you and I going to help point someone else to Christ this Christmas? I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we sing often in our chapel service, our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. We thank you that in this passage we see you at work offering mercy and and covering where we need forgiveness. God, we come before you today recognizing that we need you. God, I pray for those who who may not have the hope of Jesus Christ, I pray that, that they would see their need to trust in you for salvation, to know that, that they're sinners in need of a Savior. God, for those of us who are, who are your children and who are saved, I pray that you would guide us as we live our lives. I pray that as we go through this Advent season, we will know the hope we have in you. We will know that although our sins are great, your mercy is more. And God, I pray that we will be able to share with others about your love this holiday season. God, bless us this week. Bless us as we sing this song of praise to you. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.